The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode three brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. In this series, we take a weekly look at the quarterbacks the Eagles will be facing in the upcoming week. And I could not do that without my buddy, my pal, QB1 in my heart and in our dreams. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, happy Thanksgiving, brother. How you doing? Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend, and it's a pleasure to be here as always. And we've liked to open this show with a bit of a historical reference. And since this is a Thanksgiving show, I think what we should do is dispel a common myth that has survived through history. And that myth is this, that our good friend, our founding father, that lovable scamp, Benjamin Franklin, wanted to make the turkey the national bird instead of the eagle. And that has been passed down from generation to generation. But the truth as is usually the case, is a little bit different. In fact, Franklin, a known jokester, was actually telling a story to a society and told the joke that the society's symbol appeared to look like more like a turkey than an eagle, trying to make fun of the people in the room. And for some reason, that got morphed into this idea that Franklin wanted to make the turkey the national seal. But the truth is, Franklin did most of his experiments with electricity on turkeys. (laughs) And in fact, if you read a letter that he wrote in 1750 to his scientist buddy, Peter Collison, he wrote of several experiments on fowls designed to measure just how much electricity was needed to kill them. And as Franklin wrote, a small amount was sufficient to kill common hens outright. The turkeys, though thrown into violent convulsions and then lying as dead for some minutes, would recover in less than a quarter of an hour. But by near adding nearly double the juice, quote, we killed a turkey with them of about 10 pound weight and suppose they would have killed a much larger. And so Franklin actually didn't want to make turkeys the national bird, the national symbol. He enjoyed them. He enjoyed killing them. And as he wrote in another in that same letter, a little bit later, I concede that the birds killed in this manner eat uncommonly tender. That's amazing. 
Look at you go. Look at That's me. That's incredible. <laughs> Look at me. I've got a historical reference, but I'm going to save it for later because it kind of ties in with the subject of our show here. But you did a great job tying Interesting. in Interesting. Since, so. since I know that what your historical reference is going to be, I think you've, you've picked a good one. <laughs> so the topic of this show, yeah, the Eagles are going to play the New York Giants this weekend. And as such, we have to break down uh, the illustrious Eli Manning. So, Marco, we'll just jump right into it, man. From from weeks one through nine, the Giants ranked 30th in pro football focuses pass blocking efficiency metric as a unit. Eli Manning was pressured on 36% of his dropbacks and they only used play action 17% of the time towards the bottom of the league. Coming out of that week nine bye, the Giants ranked 12th in pass blocking efficiency. Eli's pressure rate has dropped to 28%, and the Eagles have used play action 39% of the time. So to recap, 30th to 12th in pass blocking efficiency, pressure rate down from 36 to 28%, and play action saw a 22% spike. And in watching the Bucks game last week, what I saw was early down runs, which were successful for them. And following it up with play action with an emphasis on leaving in extra, extra protection to give their weapons in the passing game some time to operate in space and uncover. Uh, am I wrong in seeing the correlation between keeping Eli clean and their use of play action, which has resulted in better play recently from Eli Manning? I, I think you're right in part, but there's also a contextual thing that we have to get to. I. You look at what they've done over the past two weeks in terms of the passing game, and they've definitely put up better per numbers. The production is there. The execution on film has been there. You look at that game against Tampa Bay. They came out, one of their first plays downfield, that throw to Odell Beckham was that sort of right. fake Yankee concept that we actually spent way too much time Monday night when we should have been watching that Rams-Chiefs game trying to find in the playbook somewhere. We actually found it, that what we're calling a Miami route, where usually on yeah. Yankee concept you get the post and then the crossing route underneath it, but it's still a deep crosser. Instead, they show you that Miami route, which you show the deep crosser, then you break to the sideline. They throw it to Beckham, beautiful throw, well executed. Then later in the game, they came to and ran actual Yankee, this time Odell on the crosser, and you can see the corner sort of sink off, expecting Odell to break back, and it opens up Odell as he crosses the field. So the execution has been better, but and also the usage of play action has been higher. And as we've seen, even though some might say, look, you never run the football, I think the threat of the run, especially with the Saquon Barkley, is enough to make play action effective. Because if you're a linebacker, you see a potential fake to Saquon Barkley, you're that much more inclined to break downhill against the run than you are when, say, you're faking the handoff to me. And so I think that's sort of the <laughs> impact of a guy like Saquon Barkley. But the contextual thing that we have to keep in mind is, look, he did that against Tampa Bay, and he did that against San Francisco. Now, I actually wrote over Big Blue View that if you take what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have allowed opposing passers to do this year, they've allowed an adjusted net yards per attempt of 9.1. They've allowed a quarterback rating of 124.9. They're giving up 25 touchdowns to just one interception. All of those categories, you take that com composed passer that you've created, that's a top five quarterback in this league right now, okay? Right. And then when you look at San Francisco, they're giving up 7.2 yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt. Quarterback rated of 99.6, 21 touchdown passes versus just two interceptions. So it's still a top five quarterback that you've created. So they've done better on the field, but part of that is an aspect of who they've played the past two weeks. 
Yeah, and against the 49ers, you saw a slow start from Manning and the Giants offense, uh, but they were able to jumpstart it a bit in the second half with some play-action concepts to Odell and to Saquon Barkley. Uh, then you saw them come out first play in the third quarter with the Yankee concept that we talked about, that deep post with a deep over-out to Odell with play-action as well. And then the, the 49ers decided to, in the red zone, double the slot, which I think it was Evan Ingram on that. You get Odell one-on-one for an easy fade. Next drive, though, keeping in line with what we're talking about here, they start by handing it to Barkley, who flips it to Shepard on a reverse that picks up 27 yards. Overall, I thought they did a good job scheming up shot plays that really focused around what they want to be as an offense. And it was the first time that I really saw their identity, what we were sold as them being able to do when they drafted Barkley. It kind of shone through for me with that game and the Bucks game, and it's opening things up for them. Over the last two weeks, they have 10 explosive plays over 20 yards, and that was an area that was really lacking for them last year. Uh, one play that I really liked, so I wanted to highlight this against the 49ers, uh, fourth quarter with 2.17 left, it's, t- it's second and four, and Evan Ingram looks like he's about to block for Saquon Barkley, who is on a swing route. This gets the defenders around him to suck up, and he releases vertical for a big 31-yard gain. Next big gain comes on an angle route to Barkley. They're finally starting to utilize him in the passing game a little more uh, creatively, and that set up the eventual eventual game-winning score. This offense runs through Saquon Barkley. I don't think there's any question about that now, and it seems like they're finally starting to figure out how to weaponize him both with the ball and without the ball. And I think the without the ball is the biggest component because, you know, you talk about the influence of play action they've had over the past couple of weeks. It's that Saquon Barkley effect when you don't have to give him the football to have an influence on what the defense does. And you mentioned, you know, that throw to Evan Ingram in the fourth quarter of that game. There was a similar play against Tampa Bay where they showed play action. They got the Mm. cover to look. And let's not forget that when they drafted Evan Ingram, part of the reason they did that was because when the Giants didn't have a running game a couple of years ago, they saw a cover two more than any other team in the league. And the reason being is, one, you don't need to drop a guy down in the box to stop their run game. And two, when you have Odell, you like to have dedicated safety help to both sides of the field. So you need that sort of guy that can split those safeties, that athletic move type tight end, which is why they drafted Ingram early. Similar type play that you were just talking about against Tampa Bay. They go run fake. It's a pure play action play. Chris Collinsworth, it's not an RPO. Edgar just sort of leaks, gets behind the linebacker, and it's a simple, easy pop pass type throw, but it goes for 54 yards because you've got the two-eye safety look, and he can split them with the ball in his hands athletically. And so that's the impact that Barkley has had. You also mentioned, Mike, the usage of him creatively in the past game because you watch this Giants team in weeks, say, one through six. There were a ton of checkdowns, and they were basically like flat routes, swing routes, that's it. And it's like, why are you going to throw the ball to Saquon Barkley behind the line of scrimmage when you can use him down the field? And I know you and I and some others, we were talking about this back in, say, week four or week five. The usage of him was so poor early. It seems like Schumer and the rest of this offensive coaching staff have come up with better ways over the past couple of weeks. As for the shot plays down the field, those were there. You look back and say their game against New Orleans, they saw a ton of cover two in that game. They dialed up a ton of cover two beaters in that game. Manon didn't pull the trigger. They had one where they had a flood-type concept where they had crossers from both Sterling Shepard and 
uh, Odell Beckham. Beckham was basically the deeper guy. Both of them were open in that turkey yeah. hole, another Thanksgiving Day reference, and he didn't pull the trigger, <laughs> checked it down to Barkley on a swing route behind the line of scrimmage, and he got tackled for a one-yard loss. They're taking those shots now, and it's made them a better team as a result. Yeah, I, I would agree on that, that Eli is starting to take some of those shots because he was definitely passing on some things earlier in the year, and, and, and you saw him uh, really quick to get through his progressions and get to the check down. But uh, focusing on this matchup with the Eagles in their first meeting with the Eagles, they stifled the Giants by putting an emphasis on shutting down Odell Beckham Jr. by using cone brackets and double teams and uh, safety shades. And I would expect more of the same considering what's happening with the depth in the Eagles secondary right now. And you watch the film against the Saints and you see just how much attention they gave not only to Michael Thomas, but they had in-out brackets at times on Alvin Kamara while simultaneously doubling Michael Thomas, which leaves you exposed to one-on-one man coverage with the other weapons in the offense. Uh, beyond that, what have you seen defenses do to Eli Manning that can frustrate him and lead to a bad day at the office for him? Is it is it just Eli or is there a specific, you know, is there, a, I know this is lazy, but is there a book on Eli? What's interesting is you could go the opposite direction direction. I know the past two weeks, there's been so much attention paid to, oh, the book on Tom Brady is to pressure him. And then, it, you know, it, <laughs> no crap. You know, it creates the sort of obvious retort, which is what quarterback doesn't struggle with pressure. But I'll, I'll try to give oh, you right. one here. And that's Eli okay. Manning. Because if you watch what, for example, the Saints did at times against them, they would just rush three. And they say, look, we don't need to pressure you. We're not really worried about that. We want to take away your throwing lanes. And there were a number yeah. of times where they dropped aid into coverage, and there was just nowhere to go with the football. And there was a play in that game where it was a third and eight situation or maybe a third and nine situation. New Orleans drops eight. He ends up throwing a shallow crosser to Odell Beckham that's two yards downfield. And now he's going to get past yeah. eight defenders to pick up this third and long. <laughs> it's a no-go situation. And even on that play, he had a curl route that was open and deep near the sticks that he could have probably thrown, but because he dropped eight, he just, for whatever reason, pulled it down and threw that shallow crosser. The eight-man drop seemed to give him trouble at times. And so I'm curious to see if Jim Schwartz says, forget pressure on him, forget doubling guys. We're just going to spot drop eight and say, look, Eli, maybe you'll figure something out here. But from what I've seen on tape, you might not. And that's interesting because they did use some eight-man coverages with three-man rushes against Drew Brees. And Jim Schwartz is a big proponent of when he builds a pass rush plan. He's looking at, okay, where does a quarterback escape to? Do we care if he escapes? What do we want to do to him? So I'm interested to see the blitz packages or the rush packages that he puts together for Eli. Because, I mean, you can let Eli sit there and you can keep everything in front and then rally to the football, which is definitely more in line with Jim Schwartz uh, uh, this year. So, uh, Mark, overall, you look at these quarterbacks, and I know you kind of tier these quarterback groups throughout the season. And as you stack these, where does Eli land with how he has played this year? I mean, I, I think he's still, if you're looking at, say, five tiers of quarterbacks, where you've got, you know, your your top three, four, five, your Breeze, your Rodgers, your Brady, your, you know, your Wilsons, you guys got those Got those guys at the top. Then your next tier is like your Mahomes, your Goffs, you know, the, the Wences, the guys that are on the cusp. And then that sort of middle tier of, you know, maybe a Trubisky, a Mariota, the guys that you're still trying to sort of figure out. Then tier four is the guys that are on the downward track, like your Flaccos. I think that's where you put Eli Manning, even though he's had this recent success. Mm. Because beating up on the 49ers and beating up on the Bucks, that's nice and all. 
looking decent over the past couple of weeks is good. Seeing like they're starting to get a bit of an identity, as you said, as an offense, that's nice. But we know where this is going for the New York Giants. We know that this is, you know, Eli's last ride. And, you know, he and Javier Escuela and the rest of the boys are, you know, trying to make one last run at it. And Dutch is going to get them that goal that they need. But still, the end is in sight. And I think that, you know, when you look at Eli Manning right now, I still think where he is as a quarterback and who he is as a quarterback is the guy we saw in weeks one through eight and not 10 through 11. So it's time for my historical reference. Here we go. Kind of transition there. So the Great Famine in 1315 was kicked off by a cooling climate and torrential rains. Harvests were down. Year by year, you saw a rise in animal diseases and lower crop outputs, which led to people starving and lowering their immune systems. But this was just the prelude to something even more fiendish. This climate change signified by the Great Famine, among other factors, set the table for the bubonic plague or the Black Death. So... The question becomes, are the Giants in the Great Famine stages, the Black Death stages? Is there nothing to see here? Because right now, I am seeing a push from New York media and those who cover the team that are saying that, or at least suggesting, that Eli Manning has another year left in him. And that might be the best course of action. Are they drinking the Kool-Aid of the last two weeks? Is that completely foolish? And would the... I mean, as an Eagles fan, I am just giddy in delight like Giants fans can at me all day and tell me how good Eli is and I'll be like yeah four more years baby give it to me first off fantastic reference you just teed that up perfectly (laughs) I think more than anything else Giants media Giants fans and again I'm a contributor over Big Blue View so I mean maybe I'm part of this have to prepare themselves for the potential eventuality that the best quarterback available to them when they pick in the first round is Drew Locke Hmm. or Daniel Jones. And I think when you're faced with that sort of possibility, the devil you know is better than the (laughs) devil you don't. And so maybe that's the rationalization that has begun to take shape. Because, look, Justin Herbert is a nice quarterback, is a good quarterback, may very well be quarterback one if he decides to come out. Although I know you do have some reservations about him, and there are some areas he needs to clean up. Dwayne Haskins, if he comes out and Herbert stays, may be quarterback one. But those are two big ifs. We don't know if those guys are coming out. And so if you're left with the Daniel Jones, the Drew Locke, the Jarrett Stidham, the Will Greer, and the Brett Rippon class, as much as I like some of those guys, I don't like them at pick two, three, four, or five. I like them maybe in round two, mm. three, four, and five, respectively. And so that's the situation you're now faced with as a Giants fan. And now you can say, look, our plan was to get Barkley, then get Justin Herbert, and we'll be good to go. Well, now you have to wait a year for Justin Herbert. And are you going to go 1-15 in in 2019 to make sure you get him? I'm not sure. And so that's the problem that they found themselves in, which raises the great question of, was drafting Saquon Barkley worth it? If you look at their play-action usage, maybe, maybe it was, maybe not. I, and you can see that Barkley is a great player. It's not. It's not about that. No. It's about finding your your future franchise quarterback and looking at this draft class. Like as we came into last year, we kind of knew. Okay, these are the names. Josh Rosen is the guy. Sam Darnold's the guy. Baker Mayfield starts to emerge, and Josh Allen was was kind of being kicked around the year before as a guy that might come out and uh, ended up in the top ten. But you look at this class, and even when you look at the Giants right now, the ESPN has them projected at the seventh pick overall from what I saw. So if that's 
stays stable, uh, they might have to make a significant move up, which costs you more capital. So now you're talking about the opportunity cost of not moving back in last year's draft. If you weren't going to take a quarterback, you pass up that war chest. And now this year you may have to move up. So that cost for a quarterback becomes gigantic. Now, however, the teams above them, depending on what happens in Tampa Bay and Oakland, may not be huge players at that position, so they've got that going for them. However, if Jacksonville continues to tank, you, you got to figure with how much Blake Bortles is limiting their offenses that they're, they're going to be very committed to getting themselves a new quarterback in the offseason. And, and look, I, I hate to be this way because I haven't been this way for the past few years, and I thought the people that were this way were cowards, but I might be the guy that ultimately isn't a proponent of this 2019 quarterback class. I've taken a look at Justin Herbert. I didn't absolutely love what I saw as a quote-unquote top quarterback prospect. I don't think it's it's that type of year from what I've seen. And you mentioned Drew Locke, and I just cringed. And he's going to go high in the draft. And, I, and you watch him, and you're like, what does he do well? Where does he win? So is the 2019 QB class weak? Or am I looking at it the wrong way? Well, you'll never get me to admit on air, off air, in the Twitter DMs, <laughs> late at night at Veeds, that a quarterback class is weak. I just – I can't do it. I'm a card-carrying member of the quarterback union. That's what butters my bread. That's what puts my turkey in the oven for me, and I can't do it. Mark, I can guarantee you I can get you to say a lot of things at Veeds at like at the second bar at 5 a.m. That, that's, uh, that may be a bit of a stretch, but I get your point. I get that's your point. fake news. That is fake news. <laughs> No, no. I mean, you, you, the fact of the matter is this quarterback class is lacking the star power and lacking the top heavy talent that we saw last year. And if you're looking to get a guy that can come in and start week one, week four, week seven of his rookie season, it's going to be difficult. If you're a team like the New England Patriots that has a year or two where you can get by with the guy that you have, although maybe not given how Brady has played recently, although that's a story for another time, you can draft a guy like a Brett Rippon, like a Drew Locke, wherever in this draft class, and have some time to sort of develop them. Because like you said, Drew Locke, what does he do well? Where does he win? He throws great nine routes. He throws great hitch yeah. routes. He throws great smoke routes. If you're Art Bryles, he's QB1 because he can give you the Baylor offense. Can he do that in the National Football League? Can you do that and win in the National Football League is a different question. And so, you know, he's, he sounds like Davis Webb when you just described he, him because that was a lot what was attractive about Webb's game. He's Davis out, right? Webb 2.0. He's Bryce Petty 2.0. <laughs> like, that's who, Brett, that's who Drew Locke is. You know, and I keep mentioning yeah. Brett Rippon. You know, if you like, if you buy into the Parcells rules, which are tougher and tougher to do, given how many guys leave early, he checks every single one of those boxes. He does all the little things. Is he a flashy quarterback that you're going to look at and say, oh, this is a round one quarterback? No. But does he do the things that quarterbacks need to do, like move defenders with his eyes and read and process coverages and be active at the line of scrimmage? In his worst game this year, which is against San Diego State, he made a great play on a third down where he saw the blitz, adjusted the protection, brought his running back into the pass protection scheme, slid his tight end, and even though somebody still missed the blitzer and he got hit in the chops, he delivered a perfect throw on an out route for a first down. That's the type of stuff that works in the NFL right now, not throwing a smoke route on third and nine. <laughs> Anybody can I do could that. do that. Yeah. I love that I can I can get you really going with the draft talk. You can you can tell how much 
you love doing it. Binders and binders filled with quarterbacks. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's the kind of analysis that you get here on the QB Sco Show. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, give me a winner or a loser. Eagles win. Giants. Giants win. Which which one do you have, Mark? I mean, looking at this game, I, I still think that look top to bottom, the Eagles are the better team. I think the Eagles won this game. It's got to be close. I mean, these are two teams that seem to be trending in different directions right now. Right. This is sort of a gut check type game for Philadelphia. And I don't want to mention the Wentz war, so I won't. But it's kind of been that kind of week after what yeah. we saw on Sunday. And so this is one of those gut check games. But I think Philadelphia finds it within themselves. Look, we're a better team than what we've showed over the past couple of weeks. They find a way to get it done. Yeah, definitely. I just mentioned to Ed Valentine on the, um, from Big Blue View on the BGN special. Go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it yet. But uh, I mentioned that they were definitely trending separate ways right now. So it could be a really close divisional game. We look forward to it. Of course, here on Bleeding Green Nation, we'll be breaking all of it down for you for the rest of the week. And after, we'll, we'll see what happens in the aftermath of this Giants and Eagles game. As always, we do appreciate your support. And we would love it if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you're hearing here. Leave a written review because, you know, we're, we're hitting certain benchmarks here. We just hit our 100th episode on the Bleeding Green Nation radio feed. So what we're going to be doing on, on the next uh, Kisten Solak show sometime next week is we're going to be reading some of the, some of our favorite re- reviews. So leave a funny review. We'll leave it on air. We'll give you a shout out. Uh, but for now, man, that's it. That's the QB Sco show. I don't have quite a, uh, a do I use the Kistens? Do I do I use the Ben's on vacation? He won't know. Okay, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.